From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, March 17th. Glen Canyon National Recreation Area will not maintain the primary boat takeout for Cataract Canyon this year. Their announcement last month was a huge blow to members of the river running community. They say a no-maintenance strategy from federal managers puts the immediate future of running Cataract, a stretch of the Colorado River important for scenic values, tourism, and for science, into question. What you're hearing, that's not the sound of heavy equipment on a construction site. This is the sound of river guides hauling a boat up a two to 300 foot slope at a 45 degree angle. So what people are doing is inflating roller tubes, uh, hooking a 300 foot rope up to the back of a four by four truck and dragging the boat on the roller tubes up the slope in kind of the same way that um, you know brings to mind uh, the building of the pyramids. Similar, similar technology. That's Mike Feebig with American Rivers, describing what you need to do if you want to get off the Colorado River after running Cataract Canyon. As he puts it, this is not your average boat takeout. If you're boating a remote river in in, uh, a really remote area of the country or the world, you may have to adapt to things like this. But for boating through um, one of our most popular national parks in the country, you're not really used to having to do this. The conditions of the North Wash boat ramp have deteriorated so much that river rafters have to spend hours pushing and pulling their equipment from the water uphill. That's not without risk, right? And, you know, it can be done in a way that mitigates risk, that's safe. But not everyone has those skills. Not everyone has that experience. Um, You're operating loads under uh, thousands of pounds of tension. Um, It's very dangerous. Feebig calls this an access and equity issue. Getting boats off the river at Northwash, it's a lot for a recreational boater to deal with. And increasingly, it's a lot for commercial boaters who have more resources to purchase serious equipment to navigate the slope. As Feebig points out, This is one of the most important multi-day river trips in the country. It draws people from all over the world, um, a number of local economies, and, and companies rely on it. Um, including science trips and and then also uh, recreational boaters, not just commercial boaters. And uh, we we need to figure out a a way to take boats off the river. The takeout is so bad that some folks are considering just not running Cataract Canyon this year. Brenda Milligan, operations manager at Sherry Griffith Expeditions in Moab, says because the Park Service isn't maintaining the North Wash ramp. A lot of the private community, they're opting not to do it. And there are some commercial users who have already opted not to run Cataract Canyon and then others that are considering. So it's uh, it's just a really great loss to the river community. Sherry Griffith in particular, we're going to try to use it until we can't. Our, our intention is to use it until we can't. To be clear, when the National Park Service announced they were no longer maintaining the North Wash ramp this year, they did give river runners another option. Travel 50 miles downriver to Bullfrog Marina at Lake Powell. But guides and outfitters are not happy with that suggestion. They say it's an extra day and a half of motoring across a reservoir at the end of a whitewater trip. The time to motor down to Bullfrog, you know, is gas, it's hours. It's, you know, sending a driver down there. It's considerable added cost and and labor hours. 
So for Milligan, right now at Sherry Griffith Expeditions, it's kind of wait and see with the Northwatch boat ramp. It currently looks like we could use it with a little bit of work. It would be even better. And that's what outfitters are asking for, a little bit of work. Last month, organizers with the Utah Guides and Outfitters Association sent a letter to the deputy director of the National Park Service. In it, they point out that Glen Canyon spent millions of dollars extending boat ramps for reservoir users to a shrinking Lake Powell, making access happen for powerboats, jet skis, that sort of thing. Investing tens of millions of dollars on revamping boat ramps for reservoir use at Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. You'd think just a tiny fraction of that could be afforded to whitewater boaters taking out from Cataract Canyon. Be big again. The situation is causing guides to accuse the Park Service of favoritism toward reservoir boaters over river runners. You know, people have been running Cataract Canyon before um, before Lake Powell was a lake. Jason Taylor, operations manager at Western River Expeditions in Moab, he wishes rafters were permitted as a historic use when the government built Lake Powell. All this uncertainty, he says, it's tough on the industry. Our livelihood is based upon, and the livelihood of a lot of employees in Moab, in these areas, is based upon what is happening and what the Park Service decides in Page, Arizona, as to what they will or will not do at Northwatch. Yeah, there's, there's, there's thousands of people every year who, who run Cataract Canyon as customers. And if this gets shut down, you know, that's thousands of people who, who aren't spending money within our area. The National Park Service did not return KZMU's request for comment as of airtime. But in public documents, federal managers say they are exploring a primitive launch and takeout ramp for Cataract Canyon river trips. It's not clear how long it will take the Park Service to make a decision. And that leaves boaters with a lot of uncertainty this particular season. Will big runoff and high water blow out Northwash completely? Will the river keep downcutting, creating waterfalls that make it unusable? Here's feedback. There's a lot to think about as as the agencies grapple with this. One thing we know is that, you know, doing doing nothing's not a solution either. Feebig says these management issues are bigger than the Northwash boat ramp. As Lake Powell recedes, more and more free-flowing river is revealed. Just downstream of the Northwash boat ramp, there are dozens of miles of free-flowing river where a reservoir used to be. And it's not just the Colorado arm, it's the San Juan River, it's the Escalante River, it's the Dirty Devil River. You know, Glen Canyon National Recreation Area has amazing river resources. And in his view, Glen Canyon? They're not really used to managing rivers, but uh, I think they're going to have to be really soon. Going forward, Utah's guides and outfitters are looking for a seat at the table. In their letter, they say they want to be involved in the planning for a river access point for Cataract Canyon. And they encourage federal agencies to work together to address this issue facing this, quote, iconic stretch of the Colorado River. The Moab City Council was in session this week. So what happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News answers. The council heard about ongoing efforts to repair damage from last year's historic flooding. Kara Dorenwend, executive director for Rim to Rim Restoration, spoke about the nonprofit's efforts to remove invasive species from the Mill Creek Corridor and revegetate with native species. 
Dorinwen said that areas that had native species fared much better during flooding, while areas with Russian olive and tamarisk became logjammed and contributed to the damage. City engineer Chuck Williams gave an update on repairs to infrastructure damaged by that flooding and said that the next large project on the docket is a series of repairs to the Mill Creek Parkway. And that's what happened at this week's Moab City Council meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between the Moab Sun News and KZMU News. You can watch local government meetings on YouTube. Find them under Moab City and Grand County, Utah. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. According to some new tax and occupancy data, Moab's tourism industry dipped slightly last year. But as Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent reports, those numbers may not tell the full story of how the industry is doing. According to uh, tax revenue data that was just released through the end of 2022, so we have all the um, sales tax data for Grand County for the entirety of 2022, using that as an indicator of economic activity and also tourism, it looks like tourism is continuing to, quote, soften after that big pandemic bump that it had in 2021. So uh, TRT revenues, for example, in 2022 were about four and a half percent lower than 2021. Um, but big caveat to that is that they were still 12% higher than um, the long-term trends based on previous growth from 2020 to uh, mm-hmm. 19. So that shows that, you know, it looks like Moab had this like huge surge in 2021 and mm-hmm. it is kind of leveling out a little bit more now. Okay. So as you just said, there's kind of an unusual year because of the unusual factors of pandemic related travel to our national parks around the country. Um, we're still seeing growth if you take the pandemic year out of the equation. Is that right? Yes. Take 2020 Mm -hmm. and 2021 out of the equation and we are growing above what we would even expect to be growing. Okay. Now, I'm sure some people don't see it that way. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's certainly, you know, a a contentious community issue. And of course, these numbers are imperfect indicators of tourism and economic activity. For example, I mean, Mm -hmm. inflation is absolutely a factor in um, these figures, even though they don't necessarily represent higher economic activity. It's possible. I'm really curious if folks are like, you know, camping, doing dispersed camping or Mm -hmm. using campgrounds maybe more than they used to before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. Um, just as part of an outdoor recreation push. So that wouldn't be shown in TRT revenue. So there are definitely big gaps and question marks in these figures, to be to be clear. It looks like you spoke to the Utah Office of Tourism or a representative. What did they have to say? Absolutely. Uh, Vicki Varela, she's the managing director of the state office of tourism. She said that we're still basically, quote, in a roller coaster recovery from COVID. So it's, mm-hmm. it's important to note that um, tourism is still expected to potentially soften a little bit more this year compared to 2021 as well. But things are still kind of unpredictable. And that was a sentiment echoed by Chris Baird at Grand County as well, who manages the the county's budget. Um, He said it's been really hard to predict uh, tax revenue figures as of late. Um, It is important to note, too, that a lot of the county's other sales taxes um, have been skyrocketing compared to expected growth and and Mm. Uh, have been very similar to 2021 numbers, whereas TRT was was somewhat lower. A lot of the mm-hmm. other sales taxes are like right in line with 2021, which is really interesting. All right. Now, Sophia, it seems like you are sort of on the tax beat. Anything um, that you have found particularly interesting about this subject in general? Um, it's challenging to report on. Like, right. How do I take these uh-huh. 20 numbers and create a narrative that people want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, everybody I interview for these stories. You know, I think it just is important to know that numbers don't tell a complete story. They gave us indicators of what might be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, 
you know, without like a dedicated data journalist and a lot of different numbers from a lot of different areas, it's not possible to extract a super cohesive narrative about right. anything from a couple mm-hmm. of figures. So I think mm-hmm. they tell us some things, absolutely, and they give us a sense of what might be happening, um, but they are not the end-all be-all. And I certainly don't want anyone to read this story and say, like, tourism is on the permanent mm-hmm. downswing, for mm-hmm. example, because that's not what these numbers are saying. It's just mm-hmm. a 2022 compared to kind of 2021 thing. So right. It's a snapshot. It's a snapshot. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much for highlighting this coverage. Where do you want to take us next? Sure. Uh, a somewhat related story about HB 416 and the transient room tax. HB 416 passed both houses of the legislature in the waning days of the general session, uh, sponsored by Moab's representative Phil Lyman. It scraps Grand County's economic development program that had been funded through some TRT revenues. Um, and that is causing Grand County's economic development and tourism department to retool um, some of their programming, of course, they're not mm. doing economic diversification this year, likely because of this bill, which means they'll have an extra half million dollars to put into their tourism um, marketing, tourism promotion fund. Okay. All right. So this bill, remind us what it scraps, Sophia. Certainly. The uh, economic diversification program um The county had been allowed to use some of its transient room tax Mm -hmm. revenues to promote a more diverse economy in Grand County, Mm -hmm. one that's not just based on tourism. Um, Over the last year, that's primarily been done through a grant program, the Star Grant program that Mm -hmm. provided a lot of funds uh, towards various businesses and nonprofits in Grand County. Um, It also helped fund a partnership with Utah State University um, and a few other costs. It does look like the partnership with USU is going to remain. I think Mm -hmm. that's able to be couched under tourism promotion or something like that. Mm-hmm. But certainly the grant program is is no more. Um, right. Yeah. OK. And as you said, you know, our uh, local economic development department has to adjust. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So I don't think, you know, big decisions have been made yet, but the conversation certainly started Mm -hmm. at the uh, Tourism Council Advisory Board meeting on Tuesday. There was some discussion about maybe putting some of the new promotional funding towards river rafting promotional campaign, because Mm -hmm. given, you know, the heavy snowfall this winter, there's probably Mm going to be pretty sweet rafting on the Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you can expect to see you can certainly expect to see more uh, promotions coming out of out of this change in this legislation. Okay. All right. Um, More coverage on that, of course, in the Times Independent. And now let's go into the inside of the paper. Um, You wrote a story about a proposed resort in San Juan County. Tell us about this, Sophia. Yes. um, The San Juan County Planning Commission last week heard a proposal for uh, something called the Balanced Rock Resort, which is being proposed um, just north slash northwest of Ken's Lake in the San Juan County portion of Spanish Valley. All right. And as you report, it's 72 acres of undeveloped land uh, right there. What are the plans for this resort? Certainly. Um, developer Jim Schnappel, who's based out of Salt Lake City, he said the plans are still a draft, but as drafted right now, the resort would include a lodge with up to 130 rooms, as well as about 100 single family lots, 84 duplexes and 34 townhomes and some recreation amenities. And important to note, um, in addition to the lodge, Schnappel said he would see an overnight accommodations overlay for the entire development. So no decisions have been made yet on this property. Correct. Schneppel was seeking a recommendation for a rezone um, from the Planning Commission last week, but they ultimately tabled it unanimously pending legal review. Um, it seems like there are some pretty serious mm-hmm. discrepancies and sources of confusion in the current planning ordinances governing Spanish Valley and San Juan County, and so they need the county attorney to review the ordinances to see if the rezone is even permissible under mm. those ordinances. 
sentences. Okay, so this is going into legal review. Yes. Okay. Anything else to pull out of that planning, that San Juan County Planning Commission meeting? Yeah, it's important to know, um, folks may or may not know this by now, but almost all of the portion of Spanish Valley in San Juan County is owned by Sitla. Mm -hmm. Sitla has pretty big plans to develop a whole community there. I think it's called South Valley Community. Um, This resort would be surrounded basically on three sides by Sitla development, Mm -hmm. which complicates... um, kind of the entire issue because some of those confusing ordinances um, that the planning commission was kind of weighing last week were created, I think, in partnership with CITLA to govern their eventual development of this Mm -hmm. area into a residential slash commercial community. Mm. Um, So that kind of throws an interesting wrench in the plans. Commissioners also, you know, given that CITLA hasn't released a ton of information about what they're planning where yet, it's unclear if this resort would, you know, quote, fit into surrounding areas or if it would constitute spot zoning. So Mm -hmm. it creates a lot of big question marks, I think, for planners. Um, And notably, CITLA doesn't take a stance one way or another on this. Their representative, Elise earlier, just requested that the planning commission look at the development's connectivity and and drainage, but didn't like release a position. Oh, that's fascinating. So you have this parcel of land that its overarching body or decision making body would be the San Juan County Commission. And then it's surrounded by um, state trust lands, Mm -hmm. which, you know, they can play with, you know, local commissions, but they can also just kind of do what they want. Correct. It's to me, at least it's a somewhat murky relationship right now Mm -hmm. about who who's kind of in charge of what there. And I think mm-hmm. my understanding is I think Sitla wants to, um, you know, work alongside mm-hmm. San Juan County, but doesn't necessarily have to when push comes to shove, kind of like you said. So right. it'll be interesting to see how all of this um, develops. Okay. Anything else that you feel like is worth mentioning about it? Yeah. You know, they did table the proposal. There were some mixed reviews from commissioners about this resort. Um, a few folks, a few commissioners certainly praised its ability to hopefully bring more uh, property tax revenue and transient room tax mm-hmm. revenue to the county. Um, others said it they thought it would constitute spot zoning and if they did it here then they would be setting a precedent mm-hmm. for everybody else to apply for these rezones and um, overnight accommodations mm-hmm. overlays throughout the rest of that part of the county um, there was also a public hearing a lot of residents spoke up most of the residents were not in favor but a few were in favor or were neutral so um, yeah the the whole meeting is on YouTube mm-hmm. if folks want to check that out Sophia Fisher reporter at the Times Independent Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Jameson Wiggins has served as Grand County's sheriff for nearly three months. He sat down with Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News for their latest edition to define his goals and challenges ahead. When he was running for sheriff, his main goal was to become fully staffed, which is also something mm-hmm. we've heard from the police department. And he also wanted to add a code enforcement position and create the major crimes task force. Mm-hmm. So thus far, he has been able to fully staff dispatch. Okay. Um, they're one position short in corrections and two short on the road. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is also the main challenge that he's run into, which is that it's really hard to find equipment right now. Mm-hmm. So police and sheriff equipment has run into a lot of the same problems that the world has, which is that there are like these mega shortages Mm. and Mm -hmm. uh, things are really backed up, which was really interesting for me to learn. And they're also having a really hard time finding vehicles. So he said the sheriff's department would really be able to take any vehicle for sale, but police vehicles need a lot of special tech and hardware, um, like lights Mm -hmm. and sirens and things like that. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to 
find someone to equip vehicles. And so really he's in a place where he can hire people, but they just don't have the necessary equipment. Mm -hmm. And then as far as a code enforcement position, um, Wiggins didn't have any input on this year's current budget. So he doesn't have the budget for a code enforcement officer, but it's definitely something he's going to budget for and implement next year, he said. And the sheriff's office has created the Major Crimes Task Force and has hired somebody to head it. Okay, so some movement. He has created a Major Crimes Task Force. Now, is this just within the sheriff's department or is this um, a multi-agency thing? This is just within the sheriff's department. It's funded by the Department of Homeland Security and a little bit by Grant County. And so the way that it works is that um, this task force kind of works on overtime shifts. And so certain deputies can sign up for those shifts and all the it's fully funded by um, the Department of Homeland Security. And mm-hmm. so they can target things like human trafficking, drug interdiction and um, Internet crimes against children. And mm-hmm. so it's something that Jameson really wanted to highlight and prioritize because now officers can instead of taking time out of their normal days they can get paid still to have time to really target certain things anything else to pull out of your time with um our new sheriff sheriff wiggins yeah so if you follow the grand county sheriff's office on facebook and instagram they've been really picking up their posting and that's something that wiggins also wanted to highlight and be really transparent about Because he said before he was a police officer, he was always really frustrated by the lack of information provided to him, especially as a taxpaying citizen. And so um, right now the sheriff's office is posting a lot on their social media, like photos and things that they've been up to. And every month they post stats of the calls they've received and arrests they've made. And so that's something that he really wants to highlight is the relationship to the community as well. Okay. All right. Yeah, I have been appreciating just seeing the data that they're collecting on their end. Yeah, it's really interesting. Now, there's more in the mobs and news. There's an article about flood repair. What is going on here? Yes. So in August 2022, following a particularly volatile monsoon season, Mill Creek flash flooded in this huge record setting event where floodwaters overtook multiple bridges in town and washed all this mud into the streets and ultimately caused millions of dollars Mm. worth of damage to businesses and Mm -hmm. homes. And so... All these months later, the city of Moab is still rebuilding. Mm. So the city was recently denied federal disaster relief assistance funds from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. So now it's relying on funds from its insurance provider to cover the costs of fixing the damage. Mm. And city engineer Chuck Williams estimated that the final cost of all these flood repair projects, including like staff time and buying equipment to actually Mm -hmm. do these fixes, will be around three and a half to four million dollars. Now, what kind of repair are we talking about? I know they've been working on um, fixing water lines. Um, They're targeting bridges. Mm -hmm. What are we what are we talking about? Yeah, there are a bunch of projects underway right now. So um, water line repairs at 100 West and 400 East are on going. Um, Both water lines are operational right now, but there are still asphalt patching and sidewalk and guardrail fixes to be forthcoming. And then um, the city is undertaking a huge project to protect the in-town bridges from flood-caused debris scouring Mm. for at least a year and a half with rocks called riprap. So this is a term that I recently learned. Um, It refers to permanent rocky material placed along shorelines that armors the soil and Mm. can protect against erosion. Okay, And so this is kind of a 
very temporary fix until the city can find a more permanent fix. And right after the flood, I talked to a climate scientist who said that it's going to be kind of tricky to estimate what level of flood the city should protect to because technically this flood was called a hundred year flood, but the definition of that is changing. And so the city has to choose if they want to try to protect the bridges for a 50 year event Mm -hmm. or a hundred year event or a thousand year event. Mm -hmm. But right now climate scientists don't really know what those events look like because it's all changing really quickly. Mm -hmm. So the city has this much bigger problem to solve eventually, um, which is that it'll have to figure out how to actually rebuild the bridges so that they don't get destroyed again. So that is kind of ongoing and something Mm -hmm. that's going to happen in the future. But Mm -hmm. Right now, the city has three engineering contracts that will be signed soon that will include bridge analysis work and new designs for some of these bridges. And so the city's at least starting that process. Mm -hmm. Um, The Mill Creek Parkway is getting fixed. So that was severely damaged in the flood event Mm -hmm. where the sidewalk and the handrail um, were all destroyed. And so those repairs are ongoing. Um, they're also going to repair the pedestrian bridge off of Cane Creek Boulevard, and that'll that project will go out to bid in April. Mm-hmm. So that has to go out to bid because the city's engineering department has done um, pretty much everything they can, which mm-hmm. is what William said. And so they just kind of need bigger equipment and more time mm-hmm. to fix these things. And then also, the city did receive funds from the Emergency Watershed Protection Program, Um, And that money will go toward fixing damages on private land and also shoring up the channel of Mill Creek. Wow. A lot ahead. Thank you for running through that. Now, as you mentioned, you know, at the top when you started talking about this, this issue financing, um, the city is relying on its insurance. Is there a worry that that insurance is going to go up or they're going to be on the hook for more money? Yeah, they're not really sure yet. So, so far, the city has received around two million dollars from the insurance trust and has spent around um, one point seven million. So kind of ongoing. Now, there's more in the MOBs and news. Um, You wrote about a new exhibit at the MOB Museum. Yeah, so for decades, the museum has been collecting oral histories. So an oral oral history is basically like an interview between two people where one person is kind of telling almost their life story or just bits and pieces from their lives. And so the museum has been collecting this information for a ton of years Mm -hmm. and they're still collecting it right now. You can Mm -hmm. still record an oral history. But this exhibit that's on display at the museum right now is called Grand Heritage and it displays information gathered from around the 1880s to the mid 1900s. And the museum chose that timeline because They've been working on this project to digitize all of their oral histories Mm. so that the community has this really easily accessible resource for history. And they're doing that in a bunch of ways. Like it'll be on their website and they're also creating a podcast. But these um, quotes and photographs gathered from this timeline, the 1880s to the mid 1900s, obviously doesn't have any audio because Mm. there was no way to Mm -hmm. record audio. Mm -hmm. And so that information can't really be part of the podcast. So instead of sharing it that way, they created this exhibit. So the exhibit is really cool. It's um, all these displayed photographs and quotes, and they're kind of gathered underneath questions like, how did people make a go of it before the uranium mining boom of the 1950s? And how did settlers get to Moab? Um, And these were all gathered in a bunch of different ways, Mm -hmm. like interviews and surveys. 
Um, and the quotes are really amazing. And I think they really shine light on what life in Moab was like. Um, and there's a chance at the exhibit for museum goers to record their own answers to some of the, some similar questions, like mm. what they've seen change or stay the same since living in Moab. And some of those answers will be on display later in the year in a companion exhibit. Is the exhibit up now? The exhibit is currently on display. And there are also a couple programs that go along with it. So the museum is doing a guided walking tour every Thursday at 10 a.m., And there's going to be an event on World Meteorological Day, which is on Thursday, March 23rd. And there will also be two recording stories workshops on Wednesday, March 29th and Wednesday, April 26th, where people can learn about um, can learn tips for recording compelling stories with their friends and family. Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at MoabSunNews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.